Today, here on Cincy Business Talk with Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. We'll be talking to business leaders about how they have grown their businesses and people. We discuss new strategies, tactics, and philosophies which lead to positive growth in our marketplace. Our program is sponsored by Sandler Training by Roth & Associates. Each week, we'll talk with our best Cincinnati area top executives about their tools and insights. Our regular listeners will be given the edge that will help them win in a competitive environment which we live. Simple solutions to complex problems which challenge all of us are rarely correct. We will address complex problems or opportunities with appropriate solutions. If you have questions or comments, contact Mike at MikeRoth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400. Now your host, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer, Mike Roth. Thanks, Scott. This is Mike Roth. I'm here today with Scott Davis. Say hi to everyone, Scott. Hello. Good. Uh, let me tell everyone a, a little bit about, about you, Scott. That fair? Sounds great. Scott is the founder and managing partner of Pencor, and that is a diversified real estate management company. Scott's a licensed real estate agent in the state of Ohio, and he's responsible for managing the firm's operations, developing strategies, and future growth plans. Scott has over 15 years of real estate experience and management experience, and he's been part of the purchase, rehab, and sale of over 300 real estate transactions in the last four years. And that's both uh, residential and commercial? Yeah, primarily residential, but yes. Primarily residential? uh, Multi-family or single-family? We do both. Uh, Most of our work is in single-family. Okay. Scott's a graduate of Purdue University in West Lafayette, Indiana, and has a degree in uh, mechanical engineering. Scott uh, has held various operational leadership positions with Procter & Gamble, a small company in this town, and the St. Bernard Soap Companies. Was that the company that P&G spun off to make ivory? It's the company, uh, fundamentally, yes. So P&G sold the plant, and some of us stayed on with the new company. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's happened to several people I know. Scott is also extremely active in the Cincinnati community, where he's committed to multiple professional and charitable and social organizations. He's a longtime resident of Cincinnati. Did you grow up here in Cincinnati, Scott? No, I grew up in Indianapolis. Been here oh. 20 years. Okay, good. So I'll publicly invite you to a Cincinnati Rotary uh, prospective member breakfast next Tuesday morning at the Kenwood Country Club. Sounds good. A nice reasonable hour, like 7.30 a.m. to 9.45. Okay. First of all, I'm just... Terribly curious, as I'm sure our audience is, where did the name Penclaw come from? You know, we get that question quite a bit. I was fortunate four years ago to run into my current partner, whose last name is Loring. And so 15 years ago, he and a partner with the last name of Penker uh, put together this company called Penclaw. So 12 years ago, uh, my current partner bought out the other individual, and it's been known as Penclaw ever since. Kind of like the name, so it stuck. Well, it's uh, you know we talked quite a bit about changing the name when I came on board five years ago because it's quite difficult to spell and pronounce. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, we believed it had a little bit of hold from a uh, marketing standpoint and branding mm-hmm. standpoint, so we kept the name. Why don't you tell you, our audience a little bit about your company? Well, Mike, first of all, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having uh, myself and our company on your show. As, as you mentioned, I spent 15 years in the corporate world making bar soap. Uh, real estate had always been a passion of, of mine. Mm-hmm. I had owned real estate uh, in the corporate world, uh, but five years ago decided I wanted to turn that passion into a career, so I jumped ship and started doing real estate full-time. 
Uh, I ran into my partner shortly thereafter, and we decided we decided to make real estate our our passion, our focus, and, and liked the economics in Cincinnati. And uh, you know, we we jumped both feet in, and uh, we've been going headstrong for the last five years. Mm-hmm. What particular areas of the real estate market are you you guys working in? That's a great question. We we currently have four divisions in our company. Mm-hmm. We have a, we have a portion of our company that owns real estate. We have a, a portion of the company that that does our construction. Uh, we're also licensed real estate brokers. In order to manage other people's properties, you have to be a licensed real estate broker. Mm-hmm. So we are that. And we've also got a, a division called Ideal Capital Partners that manages portfolios for high net worth investors and manages uh, a real estate private equity fund. So we have four parts of the company um, that. that that works on real estate and and does the work for us. But in terms of areas, um, when we initially started five years ago, all we wanted to do was flip properties. If you would have told me I'd own 200 houses and manage 1,000 rental units, I would have told you, you're crazy, I I don't want to get involved in tenants. Uh, But over the years, we found out that that's that's the area of the market that we like the best that provides the best returns. In terms of areas, and we'll talk that a bit more, we like areas... um, you know that that have at least fifty percent owner occupants, and because when we get involved in properties, you, uh, you mean neighborhoods? Yeah, I'm sorry, neighborhoods. Exactly, that have at least fifty percent owner occupant. And when we talk a little bit more in the show in terms of where we buy, what we do, um, I'll talk a little bit more about why we think that's so important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can understand that. Uh, makes a lot of sense from uh, from my background. I spent some time in California, and. I was president of a homeowners association out there, and one of the reasons that we we did well as a homeowners association, it was about ninety percent owner occupied, mm-hmm. less than ten percent were rental units or uh, units that were there for the three or six months the the owner was going to be there. Mm-hmm. Made a big difference. Uh, tell me, you got four different divisions in, in the company. Uh, how do you go to market and how do you go to market differently with, with each one of these four divisions? You know, one of the things that differentiates us versus our competition is we, we started out as investors. Um, you know, when, when we got involved five years ago in real estate, we had no intention of having a property management company. That was essentially born out of the fact that we had 150 units and it just made sense for us at that point to, to have a property management company. But the difference is, we started out as investors. Um, we figured out where we wanted to play, what areas we wanted to be involved in, uh, what what standards we wanted, what kind of tenants. Um, so what differentiates Pinklore versus several companies is the fact that when we buy a house, for example, uh, we're assuming every house that we buy we're going to own for 20 years. Uh, we, we basically do two things. Uh, we we as it, as it relates to investors, we have an opportunity for investors to buy houses from us. Um, mm-hmm. They can buy one house, they can buy 50 houses, or they can get involved in a private equity fund. Um, so those are the two things we do. And, and the one thing that we've stood on that we believe makes a lot of sense for us is we won't sell a house to an investor that we wouldn't first own ourselves. So every house that an investor looks at, we've taken the risk, we've bought the house, we're assuming we're going to own it for 20 years. Um, and that gives us a lot of confidence when we stand in front of an investor to say, you know, you can pick any house out of our portfolio if you want to get involved. Mm-hmm. So when you buy a house and it needs some minor fix-up, like or major fix-up, as many flippers have, have done, that's where they go broke. 
because they, the cost of flipping the house added to the, the original capitalization puts it above market. Well, I mean, certainly it's a learning opportunity. We've, uh, you know, we've learned, you know, what standards need to be in place that are going to satisfy lenders, are going to satisfy tenants, et cetera. So, you know, our goal is to be in the top 5% of whatever tenant class we're going after. You know, we want the tenant to walk in and say that this is the place we want. And after doing this, you know, multiple, multiple times over the last five years, you know, we've got a predefined standard when we buy a house, same paint color, same carpeting, you know, very consistent um, kitchens and baths. So, you know, if we have to go do maintenance a year later, it, it's basically the same standard and it reduces costs for us. Mm, okay. So what price range uh, single-family houses are you buying? We typically buy a house um, that, you know, the, the magic formula for us and, uh, you know, that when I give seminars on a monthly basis in terms of this, I say this is the secret sauce. Nothing that we do uh, is really magical, but if someone can buy a house and get what we call a rent-to-price ratio of about 1.5% or better, and that's by taking the monthly rental price divided by the purchase price, if you can get at least a 1.5% in a decent neighborhood, you're going to make somewhere around a 12 to 13 capitalization rate. Um, and the capitalization rate is just a, a fancy term for defining if someone was buying a house in cash, mm-hmm. what would be the cash-on-cash cash return? So what we found is... If we can buy houses um, in, in decent neighborhoods where we can get that rent-to-price ratio, that's where we want to buy. So, again, as we talked. So, run that by me again. So, you, you spent uh, $100,000 on the house. Well, I would say that our target price point is we want to be all in for under $50,000. Um, so, that includes purchase price and repairs. So, 1.5% is going to be $750 in rent. What we found over the last four years is where we want to play is that first-time home renter mm-hmm. or that, that initial purchase price, or I'm sorry, rental price, between eight and $900. The reason we like that is because the tenant pool is vast. It allows us to do government-assisted tenants, such as Section 8. It allows us to do market tenants um, to the point that when we finish a house, we're typically going through the 20 calls in terms of, hey, hey Scott, or hey, Pancor, hey, we saw your house, we want to get in and take a look. So at that price point, that provides for us the maximum number of tenants, but also the maximum return. You know, one of the questions we get all the time is, hey, Scott, I've got this house in Westchester that's fantastic house. You know, it's always rented. Um, but what we respond is, you know, if our house is going to be $50,000 that rents out for 800 a month, mm-hmm. what we found is the return is not proportional or linear with price. Because that $250,000 house in Westchester mm-hmm. would have to rent out for $4,000 a month to have the same return. So that's virtually impossible. So what mm-hmm. we found is the sweet spot for us is that fifty dollars to $60,000 house because that eight dollars to $900 tenant is, is so vast. Mm-hmm. So a lot of them out there. Uh, is it a problem finding uh, the properties at the $50,000 mark? It's a challenge sometimes. Again, it comes down to where we want to play. And for us, that's why I mentioned that 50% owner-occupant mm-hmm. rule. There are certain, some areas that we avoid. And the reason we avoid those areas is because our belief is long-term that if you're less than 50% owner-occupant, the possibility for appreciation is less than if you're in an area of higher owner-occupants. When we put together our performers and talk to investors, one of the things that differentiates us is we assume no appreciation. 
although we think it's very likely that that's going to happen, we don't include any appreciation in terms of our assumptions. So, you know, the typical house that we buy, the county will say is worth $80,000, and that's what it was worth three years ago. Mm-hmm. Well, if I, if, that, if I could sell that house for $80,000 today, I would. So the challenge is, you know, that $50,000 house that we're renting out for $800, even if it goes back to where it was worth three years ago, that's a significant gain for investors. But again, we take a very conservative approach, and when we look at a house, we're looking at a long-term cash flow situation, and we think appreciation is just gravy when it happens. Mm-hmm. If it happens. If it happens, correct. Right. And what kind of neighborhoods, just to name a few neighborhoods, are, are you guys in? We're, we're in a lot of neighborhoods in Cincinnati. Um, our favorite our favorite area is probably what we call our Northwest Corridor, from Mount Airy up to Mount Healthy. Includes areas like Colerain, North College Hill, College Hill, Mount Airy. Uh, the reason we like those areas are for a couple of reasons. One, there's a high supply of houses. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we can typically buy a house in that twenty-five to $35,000 price range. It's a three-bedroom, one- to two-bath house. Mm-hmm. So it's a nice house. It's a nice area, and again, it's it's got at least a fifty percent owner occupant uh, scenario. And that's not to say that we buy houses on every street mm-hmm. uh, in those areas, but uh, those are the areas that we we uh, we like to play in. Good. And Scott has agreed to take questions from the audience today. If you have a question, you can call in on six four six five nine five four nine one six. And we'll be able to take the calls during the commercial breaks. We're going to take a uh, short commercial break here. And uh, Scott will be right back after we listen to Jimmy Fox talk about the Tip Club, which is a networking group that we're meeting next Thursday morning. Hi, I'm Jimmy Fox of Tip Club. Tip Club is a professional networking organization whose members help each other succeed. We meet once per month and provide a forum where business-to-business professionals are able to connect with more desirable opportunities and build long-term strategic partnerships. I'm inviting Cincinnati Business Talk listeners to come to our free networking event. You'll have the opportunity to meet new people, share leads and referrals, and grow your business through strategic alliances. Membership in our Cincinnati group is open to only one person per specific trade or occupation. Business-to-business professionals only, please. We do not accept multi-level marketing or recruiting-driven memberships. This is our only group in Cincinnati. We'll meet on the third Thursday of the month from 7.30 to 9 a.m. at Sandler Training by Roth & Associates, 4357 Ferguson Drive, Cincinnati, Ohio. If you'd like to reserve a seat, please go to www.tipclub.com and click on the events tab. Then just scroll down the list of events until you come to the Cincinnati event. Or you may call 1-800-798-0270. That's 1-800-798-0270. Thank you, and we look forward to seeing you on the 18th. Mike Roth, I'm back with Scott Davis. And uh, Scott, before we get 
deeper into the show and I forget, why don't you tell our listeners how they can get a hold of you after the show? The best way to get a hold of us is via uh, our website at www.panklore.com or they can always call the office at 513-786-6000. Good. And you gave them the website again? Panklore.com. So we were talking about your favorite neighborhoods before the break. Uh, are you buying a lot of uh, short sales from banks? Yeah, primarily what we're buying are properties that have gone through the foreclosure process. And what we found is, you know, we, we go through multiple avenues to try to buy houses, whether it's owners, whether it's wholesalers, whether it's, you know, banks. But what we found in order to buy them at the right price point, typically it's already gone through the uh, foreclosure process, through the sheriff sale, and has been listed for a few months. Um, so we typically buy houses after they've been listed for several months. Hmm. So you buy the, the, the inventory that's in the right neighborhood. We do. I mean, banks, unfortunately, even when they take them back, mm -hmm. you know, they, they believe, as most homeowners, that their house is worth more than it actually is. So what's very common is even after a bank takes back a property, they're going to list it on the market at a much higher price than it's actually worth. Um, so what we do is typically make an offer and keep making that same offer for, for every two to three weeks, and six months later, we'll buy that property. Eventually, they wake up, wake up and say, no one is going to offer me That's the... Correct. Ninety thousand dollars. I'll take this off of fifty. Well, and unfortunately, you know, when houses sit vacant, it, it doesn't really help anyone. What it, what it does is just invite vandals and invites people to come in, and so unfortunately, the houses typically go a little downhill once it's been listed for six months, and you know, there's some damage, and it's actually worth less after it's been listed for six months. Mm. So, you, have you ever had to go in and reduce your your offer price based on current condition? Well, most banks uh, make you uh, sign a waiver as part of their addendum saying you're taking it as is. But, um, you know, that's part of the process. Typically, most houses we buy, you know, the copper's gone and because it, it, it stands to reason, even in great neighborhoods, if a house sits vacant for a long period of time, you're just inviting bad things to happen. So, I mean, one of the reasons we like this business is because, for the most part, everything we do is favorable, whether it's to neighborhoods. You know, we're we're basically fixing blighted houses, we're putting people to work, we're spending money, um, and we're also raising the tax value for the communities on which we're, we're buying these houses. So, you know, it's it's fun in terms of being in a business that allows us to, to one, make some money, uh, but also to kind of help the community and, and do the right thing. So what are the typical uh, repairs that you have to do to a house to make it rentable? Our goal is to have that property, like I said, for 20 years. So when mm -hmm. we go in, we have a certain set of standards that everyone in our company has been trained on. Uh, so we're going in and, and making sure that especially plumbing is up to date, the electrical is up to date, all the mechanicals on the house. We have an electrician on staff. We have a qualified HVAC person on staff. So we're going to go in and make sure all the mechanicals are in good working order and that we're not going to have to plan to, to, to fix the roof or the water heater in the next five to ten years. So if there's less than you know, 10 years left on the roof, we're likely going to replace it. If that water heater is not going to last for more than four or five years, we're going to replace it. Um, and the fact that, you know, we spend a million dollars a year at Home Depot, we get pretty good pricing. The fact that we buy three, four hundred thousand dollars worth of windows on an annual basis, we get pretty good pricing. So, um, you know, we know what standards we have and we just go in and try to do the same thing every time. Hmm. So you, you've kind of uh, are running a, a mass production of what an individual might do on buying a house and flipping it. We try to do that. It's similar to a building process, only the, the house is already there. 
Mm-hmm. So how many people do you have at the company? We have 30 employees currently. So, you know, in 2011, we were recognized as the Fast 55 winner, so the fastest growing company under $5 million. So, you know, we've gone from three employees to, to 30 employees over the last three years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do people pay rents? Well, typically, uh, if we look at our asset uh, allocation, mm-hmm. of all the houses we own, we're about 70% Section 8. So, in other words, 70% of our tenants are government-assisted through the Section 8 program. Um, and knock on wood, for the last three years, the, the government has not missed a check. Um, so that's one of the reasons we like that process. The rest are, are market tenants, and mm-hmm. people can either pay via the website or check process or come into the office. Uh, you know, it's amazing how many people actually walk in that check on the fourth or fifth day of the month to avoid a late fee. But uh, uh, we, we we check we we take money however we can get it. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, what do you think of the opportunities uh, and possibilities in the marketplace for your company now? You know, one of the questions we get all the time is is why single family and and how long do we think that's going to last? Because there's no question at some point. The number of foreclosures are going to have to go back down to historic rates. Mm-hmm. Um, so the reason we like single family right now is because of three factors: one, interest rates. Um, you know, we're all-time low in interest rates. Two, supply, because the number of foreclosures that that's put the price down. It allows us to get in at a low point. And third would be the high rental demand. So for that reason, you know, we think that there's this three to five year window at which. If one ever want to be involved in rental real estate, now's the time because of those factors. So, you know, is it going to be two years, three years, four years? You know, I don't really know. But what I do know is the fact that we're going to continue to be involved in the single family game while those three factors exist because we're able to get the rates of return that we can on single families. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you have a long-term business plan, a long-term strategic plan? We do. We we have one, three, and five-year plans. Um, they're all centered around real estate. Um, you know, like I said, for the next two to four years, or you know, we're going to continue to buy foreclosures as long as we can. Um, now, what we've done, to your point, is we've developed a strategy that's very clear on what standards we want. We've also worked with cities such as Cincinnati, Cleveland, and other areas on lots, because at some point, as the number of foreclosures come down, mm-hmm. we still think there's going to be a high demand for rental properties. Our next step will be to go build scattered site houses or houses on these lots across major cities in decent areas. So you're thinking of expanding beyond Cincinnati to Cleveland? Well, we're looking at uh, Cleveland, Lexington, Louisville, Columbus. Um, you it's really got a lot of lots in Detroit. <laughs> well, but they do. But again, we in, in Cleveland's probably going to be one of the last areas we would go to. But because our strategy is we want a stable to an increasing population. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's certainly some risks. Uh, in, in areas where the population is declining, rental demand may not be there. So that's that's why we uh, like How long does a, a finished property stay on the rental market before you have it rented out, average? Uh, less than two weeks. Uh, really? Now, for example, on a Section 8 tenant, mm-hmm. that process takes about 45 days. Um, you know, someone can say they're interested day one. Mm-hmm. The nice thing about Section 8 is they go through a very uh, a very rigorous process to make sure the individual qualifies and the house qualifies. They won't let a landlord just, you know, put a tenant into a property that doesn't meet the, the the minimum standards. So one of the things that we've been recognized by both tenants and Section 8 is, you know, when we're done with the house, there aren't typically many issues or concerns that, you know, our standards are going to meet uh, Section 8's criteria. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, let's talk a little bit about for a second the the other side, uh, because you're working with investors through your financial arm. Uh, what kind of rate of return can an investor expect if they buy a house from you? Yeah, one of, one of the things that we do, and, and I think it's the right thing, is we're very transparent in terms of we're, we are making a profit here. So we're in business to, to make a profit. Um, that $50,000 house that we have, we're typically selling for around $60,000. So an investor is going to buy a house for $60,000. It's going to run out between eight and $850. Uh, on a monthly basis, so after fees, et cetera, we're making between seven and eight thousand dollars per house. The reason we're okay with what I'd say is that small of amount is an investor can buy that house at roughly a nine two to nine point five percent capitalization rate. That means if they're buying the house after all the expenses, after vacancy, maintenance, property management fees, et cetera, they're going to make a cash on cash return of somewhere between nine two and nine point five percent. We get asked the question all the time, Scott, can I buy this property in my IRA? And the answer is absolutely you can. You can buy that property in cash in their IRA if you go through the appropriate custodian account, and we can certainly help you with who those are. And that person can expect a 9.2 to 9.5% return. Now, the real magic here is the fact that the government allows investors to finance up to 10 properties conventionally. So the real magic here, and what we've been doing for the last 18 months, is investors can come buy this property from us on a conventional loan, putting between 20 and 25% down. Mm-hmm. That same capitalization rate of a 9.2%, when you're borrowing at 4% interest rate, will turn into a rate of return above 20%. So the, the real magic that has attracted investors as far away as Argentina, Hawaii, and California to come to Cincinnati and talk to us is the fact that they can come in and plop down $12,000 or 20% on this $60,000 house and achieve a 20% rate return and simply collect a check and a statement on a monthly basis. So, so, so let me understand this. The investor from Argentina puts 20% down on a $50,000 house, 10000 and he, he owns the house, signs a management contract, a property management contract with you guys, and you, you manage the property and take a fee. That's correct. Now, it's not required that we uh, manage the property, but uh, we've never sold a house to an investor that wanted to manage it themselves, so that's certainly their prerogative. Um, but the answer is yes. The, the other thing that we do is we offer a guarantee for the first year. So, you know... What's the guarantee? The guarantee is that, you know, it's very easy for me to put on a piece of paper a pro forma that says the investor is going to make 20%. It's, it's very easy to, to, to write those numbers down. It's it's more important, we believe, to stand behind those numbers and say, we will make sure no matter what happens that first year that you're going to hit those numbers. Now, we're also transparent to investors to say, in the 75 houses that we sold last year, 70%, 70 of those investors significantly uh, exceeded the guarantee. So we give them the option to say, if you take the guarantee, you know, you're capped at that amount. So, mm-hmm. you know, it sounds kind of funny. You're capped at a 20% return. That's all you're going to get. But I also want to be transparent that, you know, most investors do significantly better than that. So we, we give investors the option of, of whether they take the guarantee or not. So how many houses does a individual investor usually buy? On average, it's it's two to three. Um, like I said, we've had investors, you know, from Hawaii, California. You know, the Argentina investor, I don't want uh, to send the wrong message. 
it's very difficult for them to finance property. So an individual that comes from overseas or out of the country, it's very difficult for them to finance property. So they're typically buying in an IRA or buying with cash. You know, for a conventional loan, it's typically got to be a U.S. citizen. And, you know, it's, this is, there's no smoke and mirrors here. It's a 720 credit score. It's, you know, you have to go through the conventional loan process. But, uh, again, the real magic here is the fact that you can get up to 10 conventionally. Now, you can certainly get more than 10 properties or loans on 10 properties. But what happens is the interest rate and the amortization uh, starts changing dramatically to the point that your rate of return is not necessarily going to be 20% anymore. You know, right now an investor can go in on a conventional loan and get a 3.7% interest rate on a 30-year amortization. 3.7, even though it's a rental property. Even though it's a rental property. Now, those rates change, you know, over no, time. And, and it, it, you're assuming they're taking a 20-year loan. That's correct. Uh, well, no, that's always 30 a 30-year 30 30 amortization. Conventional. Um, you know, if someone, if someone wants to amortize over 15 years, that rate's going to be even less. But to think that, you know, an individual can get that rate of return fixed for 30 years on a rental property is just one of the reasons why, you know, this five- to six-year period has been the ideal time to be involved in rental real estate. Yeah, I see that because you're starting off with a reasonably priced house. Interest rates are low. You guys are going to do the maintenance through the property management company mm -hmm. and in the event of uh, a tenant moving out say averages unoccupied rental period is two weeks no well no you know one of the things we do is we tell the investor to assume an eight percent vacancy so you know it, it's you can find pro formas across the internet that tell you companies will give you 40 percent rates of return but they don't have maintenance vacancy property management fees in there. The nice thing about our agreement is, as a property management company, we only make money when the house is rented. So we certainly have a vested interest to make sure that there's a tenant in the property and that they're paying, because if they're not, we don't collect a fee. Mm -hmm. And you're kind of in the deal yourselves because you own most of the properties yourself as Panquil. Well, the point is we own them first. Mm -hmm. and, and we do that for a, for for a very specific, specific reason. There are companies even in Cincinnati that will say, "Mike, you know, give me some money. We'll go find you a house, and you know, we'll split the returns." Well, if that doesn't go well, you know, there's no skin in the game for those companies. The difference is, it's much easier for me to get in front of an investor to say, "Listen, we bought this house because we thought it was a good deal." If you don't want it, that's fine. We're going to keep it in our portfolio, and we're going to hold it for 20 years. That we like it that much. And that, that gives us a lot of credibility when we get in front of the investor to say, well, you already bought it. You already fixed it up. There's already a tenant in place when I buy it. So investors are getting a, a rate of return from day one. Hmm. That's uh, an unusual and advantageous perspective to be in the business. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I can't believe it, but time's rolled out again. So if anyone has a question for Scott, you can call us at 646 595-4916 and we're going to listen to a couple of short Sandler commercials. Imagine you just left your prospect's office and he now has your proposal, quote, or estimate. What do you suppose he's going to do with that valuable information that you just gave him for free? Call you tomorrow with an order? Get real! He's shopping it around to the competition. Hi, this is Mike Roth, founder of Roth & Associates. I'm the most experienced Sandler sales trainer in Cincinnati. I'm constantly amazed how salespeople operate. They believe a prospect asking for a proposal means the sale is as good as closed. Face it, trained prospects will turn you into an unpaid consultant. 
For over 20 years, we've been coaching, training, and challenging professionals who are 100% committed to long-term sales growth and profitability, no matter what it takes. If you're deadly serious about increasing sales, call me at 513-646-6523. Find out how Sandler Training can make you better, faster, and stronger. Or register now for our next open house, 513-646-6523. This is Mike Roth, the most experienced Sandler sales trainer in Cincinnati. Hi, this is Mike Roth, founder of Sandler Training by Roth & Associates, the most experienced Sandler sales trainer in Cincinnati. You've heard our commercials about sales and sales management, but you haven't made the call for some reason. Maybe you're having your best year ever. Maybe you think a sales development company won't work in your industry. You're different. I wish I had a nickel for every time I heard that. Maybe you're afraid that if you called, you'd buy something. If you're happy with all your sales and profits and believe you have all the answers or simply don't see yourself investing in yourself or your people, then don't make the call. We have nothing for you. For over 20 years, we've been coaching, mentoring, business owners, and sales professionals who are serious about their careers. So if you believe that Sandler Sales Training might make you better, faster, meaner, and stronger, call me at 513-646-6523 or register for our next open house. Roth & Associates, the most experienced sales trainer in Cincinnati. You can check us at www.rothconsulting.net. This is Mike Roth. I'm back with Scott Davis. Uh, Scott, we, we, we touched on it uh, before the break. What differentiates your company from other people in the in real estate investment world uh, for people to use their IRA money? We've, we've, we've talked to a lot of people like that. Well, Unfortunately, there have been several companies uh, in this industry that's given this industry a bad name. Personal Real Estate Investor Magazine, it's one of the national uh, investment magazines for real estate, has rated us a top 10 turnkey provider for the last two years. So in other words, they think we're one of the top 10 companies in the United States that provide what we call a turnkey residential solution. Um, And the real reason that is, is we think for two reasons. One, we're also an investor. So we're not in the business simply to to sell properties. Uh, We're in the business to be real estate investors. The other reason is the fact that when we send out a performer or we put our estimates online, we're very conservative in terms of what an investor can expect. So in other words, a perfect example is if an investor were to look at our pro forma, which is our estimate for a rate of return, they would see a, a vacancy estimate of 8%. Mm-hmm. Over the last two years, we've we've averaged about three percent. So I think I don't know that I answered a question previously that that said, okay, Scott, what do you expect? The reason we tell the investor to assume eight percent is we want them to hit their numbers, and realistically for us that means you know about one month a year, but that really happens probably in year three, and it's going to be vacant for two to three months at a time, uh, you know, at worst case. So we want those numbers to be real. We say the same thing about taxes, insurance. And maintenance. We also assume 10% maintenance, and that 10% is based on gross rents collected. You know, even though we just spent $30,000 sometimes fixing up the house, we're not touching every aspect of that property. So the fact that there's a tenant in there, there will be some maintenance. So one of the things that distinguishes us, and I think Personal Real Estate Investor Magazine recognized this, is we're very conservative on what we think the investor is, is going to achieve. We don't assume absolute best case. So even with all those estimates, you know, that's why investors are typically seeing that 20 to 22% rate of return, uh, you know, on an annual basis. So the way you're doing it, it's uh, not against the pool of real estate uh, rentals. It's against 
specific houses that the investor buys? Well, an investor, like I said, an investor can buy either houses or they can invest in a in a private equity fund. Tell us about the private equity fund. What yeah. does that mean? Well, um, a private equity fund, the difference is instead of buying individual houses, um, you're partnering with myself and other investors on a pool of houses. You know, if an investor has one house and that house goes vacant, they've lost 100% of the income. If they invest in a private equity fund and that fund owns 50 or 100 houses and one house is go vacant, you still have 49 to 99 other houses to pay kind of the income. The other difference in the private equity fund is we don't have any leverage. So our, our goal is to make sure that, you know, this is as safe as, as of an investment as possible. Uh, both my partner and I are also investors in that uh, private equity fund. You know, I wish I could go put on a billboard, you know, how, how well the fund has done over the last two years, but the SEC does not allow that. So uh, what I'd be happy to do is, is talk about, um, you know, those results uh, individually if folks are interested. Uh, but, again, the key difference is instead of owning one individual house, you're a partner with several other investors on a large number of houses. Mm-hmm. And, again, if they wanted to have that private conversation, how would they contact you? They, they'd contact us at the office at 513-786-6000 or on our website at www.pinklor.com. Okay. I always like to ask this question, Scott. We have a theory of operation that I learned in business a long time ago. Simple solutions to complex problems are invariably wrong. Therefore, if you're going to solve a complex problem, you have to have a complex solution. Perhaps you could share with our listeners and other CEOs a complex problem that you guys encountered and the equally complex solution that you devised to solve it. Well, when, you, when you're talking about real estate, um, the, you're always running into unique situations and problems. And, and in our first couple of years, um, you know, you, you can there's, there's two ways to solve the problem. You can learn your way through it, and we certainly have, have done our share in learning our way through opportunities and issues. Or you can talk to the people that have treaded this journey long before you. So what I was pleasantly surprised to find is, and, and I've read this in several books, is if you legitimately and genuinely seek out the people that have gone before you and have been successful in the business and, and try to learn from them in terms of, you know, what did they do when they ran into galvanized piping or what did they do um, you know, when, when Section 8 inspector had an issue in terms of concrete, um, you know, you find ways that you can re- resolve and remedy situations at a fair price, low cost that meets all the needs. So I, I think the, the biggest learning for us uh, when we went through this journey was, you know, we, we didn't have to find out what areas didn't make sense. We didn't have to find out, you know, what standards, you know, were over-improving properties. You know, if if we legitimately sought out advice from people that were, you know, very successful and had done this for a long time, they were more than willing to share kind of what had worked for them and what didn't. Uh, can you give our listeners an example of a standard? Yeah, well, a standard, for example, would be paint color. As simple as that sounds. Mm-hmm. In it does eight, sound simple. In the $800 rent range, mm-hmm. most tenants will go into a house and be used to just an all-white house. Because for investors, it's simple to just spray white semi-gloss on the walls, the ceilings, and, and the, uh, the basin case. What we found is, you know, as a simple way to distinguish our product, you know, the, the fact that we have a certain wall color, you know, two-colored t- two tone paint on the basin case and the ceiling sounds ridiculously simple. But, uh, you know, when, when somebody walks into one of our houses to see that, they see, you know, a standard carpet. They see newer appliances. They see oak cabinets. They see, you know, brand-new linoleum. 
um, at least in that price point from a rental standpoint, there are a lot of landlords who won't do that because their goal is simply to maximize profit. So our goal is to uh, to one to make some money, but also to provide what we would call the top five percent of quality for tenants, and also provide a good return for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, again, if you have questions for Scott, we'll have one more opportunity uh, during the next commercial break. That will be six four six five nine five. Four nine one six. Uh, Scott, what are you guys doing now on the internet to promote rentals? We we certainly uh, are I would say are not experts in this area. We recently uh, formed a partnership with a company called HubSpot uh, that has helped us with our website. It's helped us with our marketing strategies. It's, it's helped us reach out to investors. Uh, we now have landing pages where if an investor will, is looking for turnkey real estate, they can hit our landing page. Uh, we're now able to capture what I'd say are interested leads and prospects much better than we were before. You know, we found that just by throwing out information on the website, you know, if they called us, that was great. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now forcing people certainly to capture their information, it allows us to follow up with them to see, to see what feedback they have for us and to, to genuinely understand if they're interested. That's been a big help. Mm-hmm. So you have pages where you offer a free report. We do, and it also helps us analyze, you know, traffic. You mm-hmm. know, before HubSpot, we didn't know on a marketing campaign how many people were actually clicking on our website to go to look at that certain marketing campaign. Now we can look at, you know, if we go down a path in terms of a direct mail campaign, or we go and have a certain landing page, or we go down a mass email uh, process, we can see. You know what percentage of investors are, are clicking on the on the site. We can find out what what they're interested in and, and, and basically gauge our response to the website based on what they're looking for. What's uh, what's holding you back? Is it uh, the lack of properties or is it the uh, the lack of investors? Well, certainly, uh, lack of in, as we as we grow, we will need more investors. And mm-hmm. uh, for the first three years. We didn't want to deal with investors. You know, we were a company that wanted to go buy properties for ourselves. It wasn't until roughly 18 months ago that we said, hey, maybe we do have a good process here or mm-hmm. a good opportunity for investors. So that's when we started down the path of, of selling properties. So now it's about, you know, overcoming that this this is too good to be true um, kind of scenario as it re- relates to real estate. You know, we have to be careful when we talk a 20% rate of return that the first response is, you know that 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 can't be true. There's there's no way that you know I'm going to get a, a 20% rate of return and you're going to guarantee it. So now that we have you know 40 plus investors and customers that we can say you know call this person and ask them about their experience, um, that's lended a lot of credibility to our process. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when you buy a property that had a, an old value pre 2008 of 80,000 and you buy it for 50. Uh, how do you convince uh, our county voter to, to reduce the property taxes to the fifty thousand level? Well, usually we're buying it between twenty and thirty, and, and uh, mm-hmm. I will say some counties are easier than others. And I have to admit, Hamilton County has been fantastic. You know, we're mm-hmm. batting about ninety-eight percent over the last three years, and in the process, and I'd say they are very fair. Now they're also smart. So in terms of the fairness, if a house has been listed for six months, and we buy it for twenty-five thousand dollars. It's hard for them to argue that it's not worth twenty-five thousand dollars, but they also say, okay, they write down that address, 
and they come look at the property in six months, and within two years they're upping or they're increasing the assessed value. So, I mean, I think they're and they're doing the right thing because what that does is, as investors, although there's a short-term decrease in property value, mm-hmm. what it does is it, it incents investors and other people sure. to buy that house, increase the value, and over the long term, it, it certainly should increase revenues for the city. Good. We should take a uh, another short commercial break here, and. Uh, Then we'll be back. This is Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. Finding power and reinforcement is what it's all about. Today, I want to tell you about the ways that our clients have found to fix their companies and lives. Earn more money. I'm not for everyone. I'm expensive, tough, abrasive, and not politically correct. But if you want to have great financial results, we need to talk. Albert Einstein said insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. I teach my clients new and different strategies, tactics, and behaviors that get dramatic results. If you're serious, dedicated to getting better, and want to earn more money by selling more to balance your budget, we need to talk. Call me, Mike Roth, at 513-753-9400, extension 102. This is Mike Roth with Sandler Training, Finding Power and Reinforcement. Are you tired of prospects saying, I want to think it over? Are you tired of being an unpaid consultant? Call me at 513-646-6523. On the web at rothconsulting.net. This is Mike Roth. I'm back with Scott Davis. Scott, earlier we talked about uh, rate of return. What's the difference between this rate of return, which is a commonly uh, used phrase, and the capitalization rate that you talk about? That's a good question, and it's, it's it's a point of confusion for a lot of investors. When when investors look at analyzing deals across multiple uh, institutional types of investments, the term capitalization rate is used frequently. In real estate, it's defined as the net operating income divided by the purchase price. That's a fancy way for saying, if I bought the house for cash, what would the house return in terms of the net income? So when we sell a house, we're selling it at a capitalization rate of 9.2% typically. So, again, what that means is if an investor bought that $60,000 with cash, either with cash or out of their IRA, they would expect a 9.2% cash-on-cash return. Now, again, the marvel here and the thing that makes this opportunity so great is the fact that individuals can get 10 loans conventionally. So, again, that 9.2 capitalization rate, turns into a 20% rate of return when you're borrowing 80% at 3.8, 3.9%. So um, the difference is the capitalization rate is the cash-on-cash return. The levered return is is what we refer to in terms of the rate of return. So how, how does an investor get out of the investment? He buys two, three, four, five houses. Well, what we tell investors is, is this is a long-term play. If someone is looking to do this for one to two years, we would actually discourage that investment because what what we found is most investors are using real estate as an alternative investment to their portfolio. You know, if you, if you were to look at my rate of return for my stock portfolio over the last 10 years, it's, it's not been very good. Uh, but I would also recommend that folks not have 90% of their net worth tied up in real estate like I do. So it comes down to having a balance in terms of, you know, real estate being a good option like gold in terms of an alternative investment. So, um, that, that's what we recommend. So you listen to my show with Scott Carter <laughs> from Lear, Lear Capital, where we talked about owning gold in your IRA. That's right. You lead a company of 30 people, been doing that for a while. You were a leader over at 
Procter & Gamble before that. Perhaps you could give our listeners a leadership tip. I will do that. The first thing I will say, I was very, very lucky to have spent uh, 10 years with Procter & Gamble. What, what, a rate, what a great company. And I certainly had the chance to stay in terms of making bar soap when they decided to, to sell that part of the business. You know, I decided to stay in Cincinnati. But the, one of the nice things about owning your own company is the fact that I've been able to pick and choose what systems that I wanted to take from the corporate world. And, and P&G had no shortage of systems and in-process measures from which I could pull. So I'm very thankful for my time there. Uh, but I'd say that one of the biggest ones would be uh, the term of no excuses. You know, it's easy for leaders of my business, especially in real estate, to look at external factors as to why we're not meeting our results, whether it's the tenant's fault or, you know, I can't find the number of houses or, you know, for whatever reason, investors don't want this kind of house. So, you know, what what I try to, uh, to get across to, to the leaders of my business is, you know, although we don't control every aspect, the, the more time you can take the approach of, I control my destiny, and no matter what happens, I'm going to take control and I'm, I'm going to make a decision and make myself successful, uh, the, the better off you'll be. So uh, that's probably been the biggest one that, that, that we've worked with and tried to instill in our leadership within the company. Mm-hmm. Any other leadership tips? The, and we talked about it before. It's don't reinvent the wheel. You know, we, we've heard that all the time, but, uh, you know, I personally have never uh, ceased to be amazed that, the fact that uh, successful people that have gone before you, whether whatever industry, are you know are complimented or happy to to take someone under the wing um, and, and and tell you the things that have worked well for them, especially in real estate. There is so much real estate to go around in Cincinnati and and across the country. You know you can't have one person go buy up everything. Um, and the fact that you generally ask, hey, what's worked for you? Uh, what I found is folks are, are very, very happy to tell you their, their horror stories, what to avoid, and, and the things that have worked very, very well for them. Well, real estate is one of those areas where there have been a lot of uh, people offering get-rich-quick schemes in uh, real estate that never really worked out for a lot of people. It may work out for some people, but it's going to be a very, very small number. So again, when we when we have investors get involved, it, it's 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 for the long term. How do the investors find you if they're outside of Cincinnati? It, on the website, you know, mm-hmm. we have uh, you know they can send us uh, an email. They can register on the website. They can call us. You know, we have six people in the office full time answering the calls, whether it's for rental leads, whether it's for investors, um, and they can get to one of our two dedicated salespeople that that focus on working with investors. Mm-hmm. How long does it usually take an investor to uh, acquire a property and, in quotation marks, get in business? Well, the first step is uh, to understand what we do. So we have seminars on a monthly basis. Um, you know, we do, do them at Montgomery Inn. I've got one you know, next Wednesday at Montgomery Inn where folks can come listen to what we do. Um, and once they're interested, the next step is to get in the car you know, because it sounds, you know, it sounds great on paper. I, mm-hmm. I can flash a picture on the screen and show someone a house for $60,000. But if there's four boarded up houses next door, you can't see that on the on the Internet. So we, we make sure that you take them to areas that are nice. And, you know, once someone's interested, we, we get them in the car for an hour and a half. We, we take them to houses that we have. We show them areas. And then from there, it's just about picking the house. And once they identify a house, it's as simple as, writing a contract and getting qualified through the lending process. Because again, since most investors are financing houses, the difference again for us from a lot of people is the house has to appraise. 
Mike, I can't sell you a house for $70,000. Now, if you wanted to pay me cash, you could do that. But most investors are going to get a bank loan because that's how they get the maximum return. Sure, sure. I can't sell that house if it doesn't appraise for the house I'm so selling it at. There, there are two or three appraisers, appraisals that have to be done for a mortgage. Well, typically it's uh, it's 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 at least one, and if you're doubling what you bought it for, a lot of times there's at least a second appraisal. So it's very common that most houses have at least two appraisals for us, which mm-hmm. makes sense. I mean, I, again, the, when we sell a house, we're actually setting the purchase price based on the rate of return for the investor, and not the maximum amount that we think we can get from the from the investor. Mm-hmm. And uh, only leads me to how many houses a month are you selling? Well, you know, that number goes up and down. Um, What we've done is we've transitioned from buying houses in our portfolio to buying the fund. So the shorter answer is somewhere between five and 15 houses on a monthly basis. But as we've started up our private equity fund, we have to avoid any semblance of a conflict of interest. So what we've done is slow down buying for our portfolio and start buying in the fund so that we don't have any situation where an investor says, well, Scott, why did you buy that house for the fund and, and for pink or vice versa? So, so how many houses are in the fund today? Right now, there are 30 houses in the fund. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you can expand that? Well, we're in the process, and we just uh, signed an agreement uh, with a with a investment banking company downtown to take the fund from about $2 million to $50 million. So essentially, you know, we're going to be deploying somewhere between $1 and $2 million on a monthly basis in Cincinnati and at least one other area, likely mm-hmm. Columbus, but at least one other area. Um, Good town, different demographic. Absolutely. Yeah. Again, the, the, the key question of why Cincinnati, it comes down to that rent-to-price ratio. Mm-hmm. You know, one, we're a great town, um, stable population, uh, great place to be. You know, right or wrong, or unfortunately or fortunately, there are a lot of foreclosures in Ohio. So that that's allowed a lot of opportunities to buy houses. So that marred with or married with the fact that there's a significant rental demand has just made Cincinnati a great place to be. Because, you know, we have investors from California who come look at the house that they just bought for 60000 That That house sells for 360000 in Santa Barbara. There's just no way to make a good rate of return on that house. I don't think you could get it that cheap in Santa Barbara. <laughs> the point is the re- the rental ratio is just not high enough. So that rent-to-price ratio is the key. I think that is, yeah. It makes makes all the difference in the world. Uh, we have a, a small training operation in Columbus, and one of the things that makes Columbus a stable market uh, is the influx of college students. Mm-hmm who come in from all over the state and the country, and then instead of going back home, stay. That's right. Which makes it a, a tremendous marketplace. Uh, any last thoughts before we have to uh, wrap it up? Again, Mike, first of all, again, thanks thanks for having us on the show. Again, I would encourage people that are interested in uh, real opportunity to, get, to, to either give us a call or go look at our website. Again, real estate is, is a great alternative investment. And uh, we're, we're happy to take folks through the process and tell them how it might uh, add to their portfolio. Good. I'm glad we, we have the conversation today. I'm sure a lot of people listening are going to be calling you. I'm going to be giving you this copy of Sandler's newest book, The 11 uh, Sandler Principles or Insights uh, that go along with Sandler 49 Rules. That book went to uh, Amazon about a year ago and uh, is currently what we would call a bestseller. Sandler will be releasing a, a new book later this year. 
again, thanks for being on the show. Enjoyed the conversation. And uh, Scott, why don't you take it away? Thanks for listening. This program is the property of Sandler Training by Roth & Associates, Inc. The show may be distributed only with written permission and then only in its entirety. If you have any questions or comments, contact Mike at mikeroth at rothconsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400. 